please open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This year is an exciting and important and big year because every year in the Lord is exciting and important and big. If you haven't noticed, the Lord is on a, a path. He's on a plan. He is, not, uh, he is not distracted from that plan. He is not moved on to plan B. He does not get thwarted in what he wants to do. The Bible says that the word of God will never return to him void. And so if the Lord has spoken a plan into existence, it will always happen. Isn't that good news? That's good news. That's good news because that means that God does not just have plan A, B, C, or D for your life, or that he is expecting great things from you, and then he's going to give up on you. He doesn't do that. Isn't that great? He doesn't give up on his people. What's really amazing about what God is doing in the earth is that the Lord, who is upholding the whole earth by the word of his power, is also using his own people to do his will and to do his work around the world. In other words, God has ordained that his people... You and me, those who believe in Jesus Christ, all of those who are in his church around the world, are all together working toward his plan and his goal and his way that he would be glorified every day, and the Lord has ordained no other path to do that. Now, nature speaks his glory, doesn't it? But not like a person can. Isn't that incredible? The word of God has become flesh, Jesus Christ, for us. And we have the actual word here with us that we can read. It's him. It's his testimony. And how will people understand without a teacher? How will they know? How can they have faith without hearing it? And so God has specially caused his people to be the method and the mode by which he is going to bring about his glory on the earth. That's exciting news. That's exciting news because it means that all our hope is not in one political party. All our hope is not in one nation. All our hope is not in one city. That's a big deal. Did you know that during the Crusades, the church erroneously believed at one time, like the Crusades in the Middle Ages, you know, that uh, unless the church controlled Jerusalem militarily, Christ would not come back. And so part of the religious effort, if you will, to go fight and, and fight the Arabic people and all these others and try to hold Jerusalem was if they believed, really believed, if we just can conquer Jerusalem and hold it, then Christ will come back and solve all the problems. What a, what a sad thing to put all of our hope into a city. God help us. But the Lord in his blessed plan has caused the hope of the earth to be his own word, his own action through a people that he has called to himself. That's exciting news because it's something that we get to participate in. I want you to think for just a moment as we start come to the Word of God here, think for just a moment about a time when you were on a team, hopefully a team that was successful or that was a big deal in your life. Something that you did where you thought, this is really important. Maybe it was a cross-country team in school or a football team or a hockey team or uh, maybe you were on a debate team or a drama club thing and you put on some kind of production and it went well. Can we all think of something like that? Can everybody get something in mind? Yeah? Who can, who can be bold and tell me sort of just what it is? One line. One line. Who can? Marching band. Awesome. Yeah. Anybody else? B-I-C. What's that? B-I-C. B-I-C. Can you, what is B-I-C for everybody? Brothers in Covenant. Brothers in Covenant. Awesome. Anybody else? Everybody can think of something, though, right? I'm putting you on the spot. 
Awesome. Cross-country high school champion. That's fantastic. Now, as we think of those things, what made those experiences good? What made those experiences exciting in your mind? Uh, Teamwork, exhilaration, yeah, accomplishment. Preparation. The preparation. Was, was the preparation and the exhilaration, was that easy? No. Not. Usually really, really difficult. Especially those times, some of those times, just raise your hand this time, you don't have to actually say anything, because there are a lot of people like, don't make me talk, it's okay. <laughs> uh, was that time a time that was maybe one of the hardest times of your life, of actually work? Yeah, but it was also the best. Isn't that funny? You know, that's opposite of what the world will tell you. Absolutely opposite. Because the world tells you, as you have more convenience, as you have more comfort, as you have more leisure, as you have more vacation, that's when you're at your best. And usually it's on a beach alone. No kids, no distractions. Actually, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> but you sit on the beach alone, and you get your toes in the sand and the water, and oh, it's great. And you sit, and it's so nice, and the weather's perfect, and you just have this perfect day of nothing. And that's the lie that we hear all the time. When in reality, the best times of our lives are often some of the hardest times of our lives. But we look back on it and long for that kind of camaraderie, that kind of challenge, that kind of excitement, that kind of accomplishment. That's why you have so many movies out there that glorify those things. Think about, just in your head, about all the books, movies, songs, anything about football glory. Of the, the star quarterback marrying the head cheerleader and it's this, the, we won the state title and all the glory of that and getting back in that moment. Why is that? It's because those things are ingrained into us that God has called us together into a people, into a body who are going to do something for him. And it's really hard. And also with him and enabled by his spirit, we're going to do something so grand together to be able to usher in what it looks like to be the new covenant people of God. That's incredible. And it's hard and it's big and it means all of us together. And it means something so glorious. And it's built into every person to be a part of that. And we get little snippets of it when the Blues win the Stanley Cup. And suddenly St. Louis is unified for all its problems around bleeding blue. Isn't that funny? For just a minute. Listen, I'm for the Blues. Don't get me wrong. Let's, let's go Blues. But that's, that's something in us that even a city suddenly becomes unified around a sports team. How funny is it? And I, listen, sports are great. I like sports, everything. But how funny is it that we put so much stock in uh, somebody who plays a game? And like, that's our city and that's our identity and we don't like Chicago. Listen, if you live in St. Louis and you don't like Chicago, that's the right thing. So I'm just letting you know. <laughs> you should not be a Blackhawks fan. Don't be a Cubs fan. <sighs> I'm just kidding. But isn't that a funny observation about our life? It shouldn't really be that way. Let's read together in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. As we read this, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. This is the Apostle Paul. And he is speaking to the church to encourage them and to build them up and to push them toward the mission and to staying true to everything that he's taught them so far. And so that's what he's writing Ephesus, the, the letter to Ephesus for. So as we read in Ephesus, or excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start here in verse 15. Uh, he's talking about, just for context here, that before people are saved in the world, they're just all over the place. And they're, they're given over to their desires to do evil things. 
Then he says in chapter 4, verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Praise the Lord for his word. <clears throat> the body builds itself up in love. Have you ever had a time in your life where you need to be really built up? <clears throat> we all have. How incredible is it, speaking the truth in love, that the Lord has caused, Siri even agrees, that the Lord has caused his body to come together, to be equipped with each joint supplying, that the body itself would build each other up in love. Um, I'm going to give you a secret, a pastoral secret. The pastoral secret, because I like to show you all my cards, is this, is we can turn down the lights, we can get a fog machine going just a little bit. We can have just the right aura of atmosphere. Um, there are literally apps you can buy that will help you do it. We can have the lighting just right. We can have everything feel just right. We can do everything in such a way. We can even diffuse oil so it smells a certain way. We can do all kind of things to manipulate you into feeling a vulnerable moment that you're going to have some kind of spiritual something with God. We can even whip ourselves into that without those things. Because you go to a men's retreat or a ladies' retreat or a youth event or whatever, and you're in that moment, and the worship's going, and everybody's worshiping, and suddenly it's like you just encounter God in a new way. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we legitimately you have a moment where the Lord pushes us forward. The problem is Monday morning comes, and most everybody has this moment of, what happened? I was there. And now I'm not, what happened to me? You know what I'm talking about? That's funny that that happens, isn't it? You know what God's solution to that is? It's you. God's solution to that is each other. It's not the special music, and I like, I love music. I like great sound systems, they're fun. I like all that stuff. I know, not the fog machine so much, but everything else is good. But I like those things. Those things are great. I like having it accessible for us that we can come into uh, worshiping God together. The problem is the Bible tells us that the body, you are built up by each other, by each joint supplying, by the whole body building each other up in love. And the problem is we've come into this mode, especially in our country, in our city, where we usually come to church because somehow we're going to get built up by this great preaching, which I hope you are. And you're going to get built up by the music, and you're going to get built up by the experience, and you're going to get built up because you're a member, and you're going to get built up because you're involved, and you get built up because you volunteer, and you get built up because of all these things, and we totally negate all of the body aspect, because that's the hard part. The hard part is when you have to have friendships with people that you normally wouldn't, and it's different generations, and you're together, and you've got to build each other, and you've got to be involved in each other's life, and they want to come to my house, and that's, I don't, it's not clean enough right now. Give me four months. You know, all this stuff happens, and suddenly you're in each other's lives, and somebody brings you a meal just because they love you, and you don't know what to do with it because you really don't like tuna. <laughs> and it's, you're in the body, and we're trying to build each other up, but we often don't feel free to actually do that. We don't know what it means, and we don't know how to do it. And I'm telling you right now, our culture is longing for, desperate for, 
dying for the people of God who will herald his word, his gospel, his life, his strength, his grace, and do it in such a way that the body, by the works of love together, builds each other up. We substitute Facebook for it. Searching for likes and searching for acceptance and searching for real discussions and searching for good things. And instead now we've invented Snapchat that just goes away. It's just an immense, it's in a moment. I don't even know Snapchat. Somebody said that to me the other day. Snap me. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't have Snapchat. I'm too old. But we've substituted those things in our culture. And then we're shocked when we're into our third hour of watching Netflix why we don't feel built up. I'm being honest with you. I'm being honest with you because uh, this is why people leave churches. This is why people hop around. You know, the average church attendance nowadays is three years. Member for three years, moved to a new one. Because you're searching all the time for that, building something. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because God has called us in a body that the body itself as each joint supplies would build each other up. Now, here's the hard part. It's a little bit mysterious. In other words, we'll talk about this in, in weeks to come and time to come, but take somebody with a gift of healing or a gift of faith or a gift of tongues or a gift of... What do you do with those people sometimes? What do you do with somebody that the Lord tells them a secret of your life and has a word of knowledge about you and you feel more vulnerable than you've ever felt because God is speaking to you through somebody? You ever had that moment? What do you do with that? What do you do with when you sit down with somebody at coffee and the first question they ask you is, tell me how your marriage really is. And you're like, I. Because we really are growing together. But don't you want that more than you want just, hey, and then it's nothing? I do. I know you do. I know we long for it. Why do we long for it? Because it's that football mentality that God has put us together into a team. We're going to do something for him. We're building something for him. That's exciting. By the way, if you're just wondering right now, this sermon is going to last a year. It really is. I mean, honestly, it really is. I mapped out the whole sermon series from now until January 2021. Because how can, it's too, it's so much. It's so much. But here's what I'm telling you too, is God has called you to be a new covenant person. You belong in the new covenant. You belong to Christ. You've been washed with his blood if you believe in him. You've been baptized in him. That old person is dead now. The new person lives. You've been resurrected with him, and by faith you stand with him. You have had his righteousness put on you, his power put in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You are a temple of God, and you are called to something much more than just, hey, and Netflix. Much more. And what does that look like? It looks like God's people ruling on the earth that their homes are in order, their businesses are in order, the church is in order, we're loving other people, we're proclaiming the word of God, we're interceding for people. You know, God, God, think about God speaking to Abraham for a moment. God comes and meets with Abraham. If you're a good Bible student, you remember this story. The angels come and they meet with him. They say, hey, we're going down to Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to check it out. And Abraham starts pleading with God. What if you find a couple righteous people there? Will you, will you have judgment on that city if, if you find some righteous and they have a whole dialogue about it. Are you prepared for God to come meet with you because he has called you to be a prince and princess in his kingdom to intercede for your city or your neighborhood? Because that's what he's elevated you to. That's what he's brought you up to. And that every time you come before him and you pray, he's listening to you like that. 
That's incredible. And you come before him with your family and say, Lord, save my dad, please. Lord, my brother needs to know you, my sister, my neighbor. And you know what? God actually listens to your prayers with that kind of listening. How, that's amazing. How is that? Because he's using the body to do his mission. Now, he, he can't be stopped. Despite your prayers, he will save who he wants to save. He will do whatever because he's the Lord. But we know what he's about. What is he about? Habakkuk tells us that God is causing his word to go forth as the waters cover the sea, that the knowledge of the, of the glory of God will cover the earth. That's what he's about. He's about every person knowing him. He's about every person knowing his salvation and his life and his, his kingdom and his covenant, what it means to walk with God and to be built up in the body. He wants everybody involved in this mission. And he's using us to do it. And sometimes we get so distracted by just sort of checking the block that we are okay spiritually, that we forget about what his glory actually demands of us and what it really means to walk with him. In other words, we can come to church, we get built up in ourselves and say, hey, that was a good Sunday. And then we hit Monday morning and we just get into the work mode for the next six days. Work, 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 family, back to church. Oh, okay, I'm back now. And totally sort of push God out of it. You know what I'm talking about? It's easy to get into those modes. We focus on things that maybe God isn't focusing on. I'm going to build you up. If you're feeling a little low right now, don't. Because the Lord by himself is the one who is building us up. Let's read on in Ephesians chapter 4. This is what verse 17 says. We're going to read 17 through 24. Now I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to practice in every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and that you were taught in him and that as the truth is in Jesus, to put your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is Paul talking about here? He's saying that there has been this thing that David talked about, this great exchange. Tony, can you stand up with me for a minute? Come on up here. Isn't Tony great? Then you have a great, look at that shirt he's wearing. It's a great shirt. <laughs> All right, Tony is his own guy. He's born, he's living life, he doesn't know Christ, he's doing his own thing. Those things generally, even if he's a successful guy, um, are marks against him. Why are they marks against him? Because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if God's standard is here, is Christ, this is what that standard looks like. It's way here. He can never attain it. Even if he's doing good things and giving money to the poor and doing all this good stuff, he can't do it because anytime he fails, any lie, any sin, any selfishness, any bad attitude, whatever, is a mark against him that's against the law. And in God's legal mentality, you know, the Lord invented law. He's, he's the greatest lawyer, which is a little scary sometimes to think about, but he did. And so in God's legal mentality, you're either right or you're wrong. You're either beloved or you're a traitor. There is no in-between. And so Tony, as likable and lovable as he is, beautiful in every way, is marked traitor. 
That's rough. You cannot make it. So what's God's solution? God's solution is to send his son. So God sends his own son, who comes as a man, fully God, fully man, dies on the cross for us. Okay, Christy, you come up. You're going to be Jesus. Can you bring your jacket? Stick your jacket on. Yeah. All right, come on up. Okay, you're going to come here, and you're going to be Jesus, so come on the stage right there. And now, isn't, isn't Jesus beautiful? <laughs> Way better than Tony. Okay, so Jesus dies on the cross for us, so you die on the cross. Now, what happens is God calls Tony. says, Tony, you're going to belong to me. And Tony comes and is crucified with Christ, so you die with Christ, right? So Jesus dies, Tony dies, the old self, because he is connected to the law, and he can't get away from it unless he dies to it. So he dies with Christ and all its legal demands of the law that Christ is upholding, and Christ pays the punishment because does Tony really die? No. He has a substitute. You can put your arms down now. Okay, buried now together, right? Now you grab onto him. Buried now together. We see this through baptism because the Holy Spirit really does something in baptism. Really does take a hold of us and bring us through. It's, it's incredible how God... No, we're not saved in the waters of baptism. We're saved by Christ and what he did. And yet the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, applies a sign to us, a seal on our hearts that we live for Christ and we belong to him. And so we identify through faith and baptism as he died and was buried, we were died and buried. And we come out of the water now, and the old self is dead. And now the new self, take your jacket and put it on Tony. And now here's the new self in Christ, who is given Christ's righteousness. And the work that Christ did was applied to Tony. Doesn't he look great? <laughs> and forever immortalized on Facebook for everybody. <laughs> and now the righteousness of Christ is put on to Tony. And the old self is dead in the tank, in the baptism, in the burial. And by faith we rise up now in Christ, holy, in him, alive, resurrected with him by faith. Now the problem is we're still here, aren't we? We're not perfect yet. We're not there. And yet already we have been given the justification of God that we are made holy and being made holy until that day he comes again. That's a, it's a mystery. But this righteousness of God is on Tony. And so now, Tony, you can stand next to, yeah, perfect. Now Tony is in heaven, right? And God is sitting at his judgment seat. And he says, Tony, you belong to me. No question about it. Why is there no question? Because he immediately, he sees Christ's robes. He immediately sees. Do you know what it means to be clothed in the Old Testament? To be clothed, it's not just be given stuff. Let's give them a round of applause. And they do great. You can sit down. <laughs> to be clothed in the Old Testament was not just uh, to be given stuff. To be clothed was a mark of, of um, inheritance. And so to, in the inheritance rights of people, you were given your father's clothing to show that you have now assumed the mantle that your dad had. This is why Joseph, in his coat of many colors, caused the brothers to want to kill him. It was not just a nice jacket that the dad gave him. The dad was giving him his whole inheritance. One of 12. This is my beloved. I'm going to give him everything. And all the brothers went, what? 
what about us? We got to get rid of this guy. That, does it make sense to you now about what that means? So now being clothed in Christ's righteousness is not just meaning that you're put on for a little bit some nice clothes and they look good until you stain them again. It means the inheritance of Christ. This is why you're a joint heir with him, to do a mission with him, that this place belongs to him and it belongs to you because he's clothed you in his righteousness and in his power and in his mission and in his way and you look like him as you go out because you are doing his work. Isn't that exciting? That's why Paul is saying, cast off, put off those old things that you used to do before you knew him, that the Gentiles did in their ignorance because they didn't understand. And instead, put on the work of Christ, put on his righteousness. What's the context here? He just said, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. How can you do that if you come in so stained, trying to live like you used to be? It doesn't work. Instead, as you come around God's people now, you're clothed in his righteousness. You know who you are in Christ and you walk his way. And suddenly your whole life is just flowing toward honoring and glorifying Jesus in every way. And then every person you encounter and come on to, you're building them up in Christ because you want them to know as well. What has God done? What is he doing? How is he moving us forward? What does he have for your life? I got, I got to tell you. Isn't that exciting? That's who you were called to be. That's who you were called to be. Let's read on in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak with truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one, uh, for we, we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, let, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building it up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. What a beautiful passage. Isn't that great? Let me ask you something. How easy is it to forgive? How easy is it to be tenderhearted, really? How easy is it to really be kind? Have you ever had that moment with an awkward person at work where you actually go out of your way to another elevator so you don't have to talk to them? We do stuff like that all the time. And yet God's called us to kindness, to tenderheartedness, to taking away malice and deceit and slander, you know, the easiest way to get ahead with people liking you in the workplace is to slander somebody. You ever notice that? If you get around the uh, water cooler, it's always gossip about somebody. And so if you put people down, you elevate yourself. It's the same with high school cliques, same with college cliques, same with sports teams. It's how you get a relational collateral in a bad system. And it's not true. Because God's called us that we should be tenderhearted, that we put away all malice, all slander. We put all those things away from us. And instead now, we worship him with who God has made us to be. That's really exciting. Let's go through this list together a little bit and just look at each of these things. The first thing that Paul tells us is that we should speak the truth. Speak the truth because we're embracing the unity of membership with one another. You know, no relationship can work based on lies. Never works, does it? Have you ever met somebody who puffs them, themselves up 
to tell you they're something they're not? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody who really thinks that they're super special and just starts telling you about all the accolades they've had and things that they've done. What happens when that bubble pops? It's rough, isn't it? If you try to start a relationship in falsehood, it never works. Instead, God has knit us together to be one people, members of one another, with truth as our bedrock. What is the truth? I was a sinner. I failed my God. I failed my family. I failed myself. I failed everybody but God. And we all start with a like confession of what God has done in our lives. Isn't that incredible? That God would just put us together in the unity of knowing him. And the love for him is more important than who we think we are. We start with speaking the truth and the truth in love. The other thing that a relationship can't handle is just outright sin. Just outright sin. Just can't, relationships can't hold that. And so we have to be a people who speak the truth in love to challenge one another, to hold each other accountable, to, to lift each other up, to build each other up. You can't build each other up if there's a cancer eating away at you. That is sin. First, we've got to treat that. Does that make sense? And so the very first thing that Paul tells us is, now that you've been clothed in Christ, the truth has to come out of you. Doesn't that make sense knowing about who Jesus is? He never pulled any punches, did he? He was straight with everybody, but he did it in such a way that they were like, yeah, you're right, Jesus. The Pharisees, not so much. They just wanted to kill him. That was different. But everybody who received him loved him for the truth. Interesting. Try that on Facebook today. It's not going to go well. Second thing we hear about is be angry because you're still human. You can be angry. You're not going to stop being human all of a sudden. And do not sin. Be self-controlled and control your own desire, your own pride, and your own anger, and call it, call it to be less important than the king's community. Why do we get angry? I usually get angry because I feel disrespected. I was in a restaurant not long ago, and uh, I sat at a table, and a young man came up to be our waiter, you know, and uh, he walked up to me and kind of hit me in the arm like this, and he goes, he goes, how's it going, dude? What do you want today? And I was like, who the heck are you? <laughs> just, you know, and we all have those moments, don't we, of feelings like that, of just stuff that comes up in us. It's okay to be angry. Don't let your own anger cause you to sin. Because when we do that, what we're really doing is we're letting our own pride take over where we feel more important than somebody else. We, we count ourselves more important. Because I'm more important and my pride is more important to me than Jesus, I'm going to get really angry and I'm going to say something about it right now and defend myself. Where does it get us? Nowhere. Be angry. Don't sin. Count your own pride as less important than Christ's community. How incredible. This also causes us to protect each other because there's no opportunity for the devil to give harm. We protect each other. Praise God for that. The next thing Paul tells us is that so radical is our change that even the thief who walked in one style of living by taking for himself whatever he needed, is now working and laboring not just to gain for himself, but so that he might have something to contribute to the body. What a radical change. What a radical change that we would see people who lived a full lifestyle of selfishness given over now to a selfless life that's hard and working hard. When I was in the military years ago, I had a soldier who worked for me, 
And uh, he was a nice kid, and I liked him. And I was trying to give him some opportunity and help him kind of increase and, and grow. And um, he started acting really weird one day, really weird. And just like something was super off. And so I got some time with him, and I was like, dude, what's, what is going on with you? Something's wrong. Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, about a week passed, just something. It was not good. Something's wrong. And some weird guys came in to meet with him. And so uh, I pulled him aside, and I said, you're going to tell me what's going on right now. And he said, uh, he said, I got caught. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I've been dealing drugs for about two weeks, and I got caught. I said, what, what are you doing? He goes, uh, it was either go straight to jail or be an informant. So I'm being an informant, and I'm trying to help the guys find the, the suppliers. I said, uh, that's not good. He goes, no, I'm going to still do some jail time. I'm really sorry. I know you really tried to invest a lot in me. I really failed you. And I was like, dude, wh why? He said, I was making more in one month selling drugs than six months of my salary. Why would I keep doing this? Full time in the military, it's not worth it. I tell you that story because think of this kid. The money was more important. The money was more important than the uniform. The money was more important than the sacrifice. The money was more important than the duty. The money was more important than the people he's hurting. The money was more important. And God takes people like that every day and radically changes them, that they're willing now to work and trudge it out trusting God, not just so that they can pay their own bills, but so that they can have something to share. How incredible is that change? That's amazing. That's what Paul is telling us God has done. That's what that clothed in righteousness looks like. The next thing Paul tells us is that we shouldn't corrupt each other with poor speech, but instead we should build each other up. We should build each other up. You know, it's so easy to tear people down with our words, isn't it? Maybe you've had Valentine's Day dates like mine that are ruined in one conversation. No? Nobody's had that? Okay. You can say words in such a way that can tear people down really easily. Sometimes you don't even mean to do it. Stuff that just comes out of you that happens. God calls us that our speech is to be pure, to build each other up into Christ. This is a great litmus test for us. It's a great litmus test for us in our prayers, what we say to God, but also in what we tell other people. If somebody asks you about your church or about your life or about your religious experience, are you fast to be like, oh, it's nothing? Yeah, stuff, you know, I, I met God, he's good, I guess. Or do our words declare what is going to actually build people up? You know, I know um, I have friends who, whenever they go on vacation, will find a reason in that vacation to come back and tell me it wasn't good. So they, they will go somewhere amazing. They'll go to Fiji, exotic, beautiful, all this stuff. It was a bajillion dollars. It was the best vacation they've ever had. And they'll come back and they'll, you know, but it rained every day for 30 minutes between 12 and 1230, so really it wasn't that great. Or, you know, we really we reserved a Porsche, but um, they, only, they only gave us a Ferrari. So, you know, it was, it was technically an upgrade, but there was no room for our bags. What? You know, and to find any reason. Yeah, well, we got first class on the way there, but not the way home on our flights. So, and now I have to see my chiropractor. <laughs> Are you kidding me? But you know what? We do that all the time, don't we? I'm so blessed. God paid all my bills this month, and I had money left over. You know, but, but I don't make that much. You know, I don't live in a mansion. I live in a great house, but not a mansion. 
you know, I have a great reliable car that God has given me, and it's a blessing, but it's, it's only a Ford. What? Why do, why do we downplay the things that God has done? Those are just simple, silly material things. So much more. God gave me a family and children and a church family. He gave me a place to worship. He put me into a place where I know I, I belong. How incredible is that? I can say with certainty that God put me in St. Louis, Missouri and planted me here for his glory. That's amazing. I can look back at my life and say, Lord, you have saved me from death, from destruction, from my own stupidity every turn, at every turn. And now I stand before you alive because God said I would be alive. Do you know Jesus? How incredible is he? I can look at my own family and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have given me a family. I see every day and visit people all the time in the hospital that are struggling with all kinds of things. And then I can actually stand here, just to stand here. Incredible. Incredible. And the little blessings that God gives us. I should have been dead 10 years ago. And you know what? Pretty much all of us can say something like that, can't we? And yet, look at what God's done. And the words start to build each other up. And just by saying those little things, David's little testimony about getting a new engine in a car, he didn't end that with, but it's just a Hyundai. Praise a new engine out of the warranty. Thank you, Lord. What a blessing. And weren't you built up when he was talking about communion? I was, but how easily he could have just sunk it. But really, God didn't, you know, he's, now I'm just really pressing in because really we need the blessing on other things. Man, we need Jesus, don't we? We need Jesus to change our own thinking because he clothed us in righteousness. He made us a new creation in himself. And our worldview has to change to see what he's doing. And sometimes God gives us the challenges to make us look more like him or to have an opportunity to glorify him. Sometimes the hardness of it is what is gelling us together. So that when we look back on this, it's like that football experience where we say, wow, that was a hard time and an awesome time. God's good to us. The last thing that Paul says is, love wins. Be kind, be tender, be forgiving. He ends with, we're supposed to forgive other people because God forgave us. You know, really what he's saying is, you are supposed to reflect the very character of God. If he forgave you, you stand in his place as a priest before him, as the temple, and you forgive other people to show what God is like. How incredible. What a calling, and how difficult. How difficult. It's hard. How do you do that? You do that by saying, Lord, I trust you more than I trust my own mouth. I trust you more than I trust my own heart. Give me the words to say right now. I cannot stand this person. But for you and your sake, because of what you've done, I'll forgive them. And, tr and trust him. And hold yourself. And then call Rex Chin and say, Rex, I'm struggling. Help me. And the body will help you. See how that works? Because oftentimes these are the closest, biggest relationships of our lives where God calls us to do that. Family members that have hurt us, dear friends that have walked away, whatever. But God has called us to represent him and do something bigger, not just for your own benefit, but for his. Uh, when I was in the Army, I went one time, I was stationed at Fort Polk in Louisiana. I have a lot of Army stories, sorry. And um, 
in Louisiana, it's all swampy and weird. Uh, it's the worst place in the world. God, God help us. <laughs> Don't tell Withan I said that. Oh, man, so many bugs. They will eat your face. Um, so one day we were going to do, my battalion was called the 519th Military Police Battalion Vipers. So we had the Viper Games. And the Viper Games were feats of strength of different things that you had to do. And one of them was called the Swamp Run. And there was a swamp near where we did our exercises and stuff. And it was a real, legitimate Louisiana swamp connected to basically the sewer system of the base. So there were weird tunnels. No, there's not sewage. Let's just say there wasn't sewage. But there were big tunnels that you could go through in storm drains that were large enough to sort of crawl through. And so the swamp run was a obstacle course that was about two mile run through the swamp. And so you had 12 people, and of that 12 people, you had uh, nine, I think, packs that were each weighed about 70 pounds or so, 60 pounds. And you had to get you and the packs through the course as fast as possible. I don't know. I, honestly, I don't. Probably, but we don't know. It's on the base, so there weren't a lot, but there were snakes, scorpions, gators, weird spiders. It was there. They were there. So, uh, so we're doing the swamp run. And the swamp run was like, just follow the, you know, we, we spray painted some trees. So look for the spray paint. That's the course. You'll be fine. And there's medics along the way. So if you get hurt, just yell medic. You'll be fine. So the 12 guys, we get together, and I was voluntold. You're going you're gonna to be on this group. And I was like, all right. So I get my pack, get ready to go, and we had very little preparation. So we just start running through the swamp. And we're running along. The first 30 seconds, fantastic. Running, great, awesome. And then you hit the first bog, and it was about this deep, the first one. And I'm tall. I'm a tall dude. So I jump in there, and it's cold, and it's swamp. So it's mud and yuck and gross. And I've got a big pack on my back. And the next guy jumps in and is shorter than me. And there's bloop, all of a sudden under there. And so what do I feel? Grabbing and like this. Because I've got to pull them up as I'm walking. So what do I do? I grab the guy in front of me. You know, we went two miles like that. Two miles. When we got to the final, the final thing was that storm drain deal, which was about this tall. And I'm this tall. Right? So this is the opposite now, because I got to like crawl awkwardly through this sludge to get out, and I couldn't carry the pack anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't fit in the thing. I was smaller then, but I couldn't fit in the thing with the pack. And so you know what I felt? The guy in front of me grabbed that pack and started pulling it off my shoulders. Because that's what, that's what you know, and here's the funny part. Some of these guys, I didn't even know. I knew my guys that I worked with all the time, which was like 45, but we were in a group of 170 and they picked 12 out of that. So some of these guys I knew, some of I didn't, but we all had the same patch. And that patch was enough that in the crud of that moment, if you fell, I will pick you up. In the crud of that moment, if you can't carry your pack, I will carry it for you. That's the new covenant people of God. Whatever bog we find ourselves in, whatever crud, there's gonna be somebody taller and instead of saying, Lord, why didn't you make me taller? Reach up and grab a hold of them and pull up. And then when we go through the small hole and the tall guy is like, I can't fit, you can say, thank you, Lord, that you made me small. And grab that pack for him and move forward. 
because God in his glory and his wisdom and his might made us one body that we would build each other up because at the end of two miles, everybody was exhausted. So the miracle was not just that somebody grabbed the pack off my shoulders. The miracle was I'm one of the biggest guys and at some points I was carrying two packs. So people grabbing stuff, they're at the end. They don't have, the little guys had nothing left because they were just trying not to drown in the bog. And everybody thought it was hilarious because it's the army and that's what you do. But imagine for a moment a company of people who love God so much that we love each other that way. That love God so much that we dig down into ourselves and say, Lord, you have clothed me with your righteousness and maybe it's going to come out. We'll talk in the future about speaking in tongues and gifts of faith and all that stuff. But for right now, just forgiving just having a good word for each other, coming ready in the word of God that I'm going to say something to you that will build you up and get you closer to him. Because if you're closer to him, we're all better. Isn't that exciting? What if you're that guy at the water cooler? What if you're that girl in the staff meeting? What if you're that friend in the group of friends that starts getting on that other friend? What if you're that brother in your family or sister in your family that instead of trashing the ant again, is going to be the one with the kind word. How incredible. That's what God's called us to. That's what God's called you to. And in it, he is glorified. Make no mistake, as you are who God has made you, clothed in Christ's righteousness, he is glorified as you honor him just by your life. Isn't that exciting? Doesn't it take a little bit of pressure off? A little bit of pressure off. Because you can just be you. God's good to us, isn't he? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that you came down, God, to be a man for us. Lord, we are not worthy. But Lord, it was because we were not worthy that you came. Thank you. Thank you for your free gift. Lord, we submit our lives to you, Lord, and we say we want to look like Jesus. We want to look like you, clothed in your righteousness. Help us, God, that we would honor you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name. Raise your hands for a blessing. May you know the peace of our Father. May you know the power of the resurrection of our righteous, forever King Jesus. And may you know the power of the Holy Spirit as he applies Christ's righteousness into your life. Be blessed.